reflection on, on compassion and forgiveness. Um, I like to think so. Dawn and I have been talking about the four Brahma Viharas. And I'd like to think there's also this subcategory or the other two heart qualities um, that uh, I hold in a similar way. And that is forgiveness and gratitude. And so I'm going to talk a little bit today about compassion, but I'm going to throw in a few tidbits about forgiveness. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. Yeah. So, you know, as we spoke about yesterday, partly how we um, decided to engage ourselves and each other with these practices of the heart, it's because of the times. But the actuality, and those of you who have um, maybe sat with me before, heard this before, I would venture to say that these times are no worse or no better than any other times. It's just that now with all the social media and the immediacy of information being there for you, for us, we know about what's happening all over the world. But I guarantee you those that were enslaved, those that were oppressed, those that like there have been really challenging times before and human beings have traversed them. So I think part of the um, capacity to traverse and move through challenging times um, is this wellspring of compassion. I'm gonna speak to that a little bit. So the Dalai Lama says that each of us in our own way can try to spread compassion into people's hearts. Western civilizations these days place great importance on filling the human brain with knowledge. But no one seems to care about filling the human heart with compassion. This is what the real role of religion is. Those are directly words from the Dalai Lama. So as we engage with this investigation and this inquiry and this um, looking to see our relationship to compassion, both for ourselves and others, um, many of us, I know um, Avi spoke of this yesterday and I'm sure there are other people here who are in roles and positions um, where you're in service to people where we're in service to humankind. So whether you're a healthcare professional or a teacher or a mental health worker or a caregiver of some kind, you know, there's, there's many, many roles um, where that is the predominant engagement with people and conditions. And even if you're engaged in work that's more um, oriented, I guess I'd say, oriented towards product or um, towards business. You know, a lot of what's being looked at now is, is the um, circumstances and conditions that, that business and product have set up, which now need to transform and alter such that we can start taking care of both 
the earth and each other, even within that context. So this practice of compassion is, is giving. It's a giving practice and a restoring practice. And like many of us have been talking about allowing ourselves to understand that it's also an incremental practice. You know, I will say to people, it took whatever, 35, 55, 65 years to get this way. We're not gonna undo it in three sittings. Right, it's the buildup over time. It's the practice over time. There's the wisdom and knowledge that comes with practice that you can't get to the next step without that wisdom and knowledge showing up. So just to remember to be kind and patient with yourself in terms of continuing on this path and engaging um, with these heart qualities and the wisdom aspects of the practice, knowing that um, if you stay dedicated and committed, things will transform. You will um, arrive at having the capacity and the mastery of practice. So this compassion is the armor that serves us, that keeps us well on this life walk in our gendered bodies with our ethnicities, our cultures, our financial standings, our orientations all of these identities. Compassion or karuna in Pali and Sanskrit, compassion is the word karuna. Or empathy is the wish that others be free from suffering as distinguished from loving kindness or metta, which is the wish that others be happy. So they're, they're kind of, remember yesterday I talked about these being different flavors of love but all related and all necessary for cultivation of the heart. Compassion is listed as the second of the four divine abidings of Brahma Viharas, along with loving kindness and upekka or equanimity and mudita, which you're gonna hear about this afternoon a bit from Dawn. Compassion is cultivated for internal tranquility of awareness. It is a skillful quality of the mind heart. Not so much a practice that one engages to build and cultivate the phenomena of insight. But remember yesterday when I talked about the two wings, you know, and the kind of necessity or the holistic understanding of developing both areas or both components of your practice. Sometimes I just chant to myself, metta karuna mudita upeka, to raise the energy, to um, open and invoke, bringing those energies into my daily experience and daily living. That's part of my practice. I even have, um, and I know many of you all are younger, so I know checks aren't used much anymore, but I have a checkbook. And, and my checks on the bottom where you can write something, I wrote Metta, Karuna, Mudita, and Upeka. So whoever is getting that check is getting that energy coming to them. So. so this compassion, a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow, for another who is stricken by misfortune 
also accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. So it's not just noticing the suffering or it's not just being aware of it, but this, this um, pull or this push, you know, when the heart is open to want to be um, a part of uh, the energy of helping to alleviate that for others. And yesterday, like I gave you some synonyms for um, equanimity, I'm going to give you some synonyms for compassion because we all have different minds and different ways of understanding words. Don spoke about that earlier today. Sometimes the inability of words to really reflect what's being said or the meaning. So some synonyms for compassion are empathy, grace, humanity, kindness, tenderness, yearning, humanness. Yeah, so let's let that energy just be there for a moment as it sinks in. The Buddha taught that all humans are alike in their desire for happiness and for love. This is so whether or not we use unskillful or skillful means in an attempt to find balance, peace, and happiness. The confidence, strength, and personal authority to right ourselves when we encounter suffering and pain comes from a cultivated heart and mind, which trains us and prepares us to meet the suffering and pain we encounter in relationship to ourselves and with other beings. Yesterday, some, somebody asked the question about being embodied. And I think it was Kim also asked the question about knowing when upeka or equanimity is present um, in one's body. And, and the, the body is always there engaged, um, which is also true of compassion. I opened my emails this morning and a good friend of mine uh, who actually is, is um, uh, attached to Spirit Rock had written me, um, written her community that her dog Tuck died early this morning. And Tuck was her familiar, like Tuck has been with her for 14 years and never took his eyes off her and was her little shadow behind her. Um, and immediately when I read that, that um, and I knew Tuck a little bit, um, immediately when I read that email, I felt my heart break open. You know, the compassion was right there for both my friend and for Tuck. Um, Christina Feldman says, love asks us to let go. Compassion asks us to let go. Our capacity to be wholeheartedly present for anyone or anything in this world asks us to release our longing for how things used to be and our yearnings for a better future. Letting go frees us to take our seat firmly in this moment and in the truth of loss and change. Letting go frees us of the burden of obsessing about what used to be and what might be in the future. Our willingness to let go of what should be liberates us to embrace what is. This is one of the hardest lessons for us to learn and the lesson that none of us can avoid in this life. 
most of us discover through reflection that the places we resist and cling to most tenaciously are also the places we suffer most acutely. They are the places we feel most imprisoned in, a world governed by self and disconnected from others. Compassion is a release from that imprisonment and a healer of separation. Letting go does not leave us marooned in indifference or apathy. We are not asked to let go of our love or our bonds of commitment and care. We are learning step by step, moment by moment, to let go of separation and suffering. Our capacity to find a boundless compassion is released by our capacity to let go. I think one of the themes you've been hearing over and over as Dawn and I have offered our, some of our insights is this non-attachment, non-clinging, letting go. One of the foundational and core pieces of this practice, of this lineage, of the Dhamma. Unavoidable, so much suffering about that and so much behavior that human beings engage in trying to avoid that fact trying to avoid uh, the, the, the charge, I guess you'd say, um, to living a life of non-attachment, a charge of living a life of the clarity and understanding and getting it in our bones of impermanence. So compassion is a responsive movement of the heart. It responds to suffering. It responds to conditions, not a reactive. The heart quivers in response to suffering. A way to think of it is that compassion lies at the heart of what it means to be fully human. And it is what allows us to be at peace in the midst of pain and turmoil. It is an energetic response, not a mental idea. We often find ourselves given the opportunity to engage with the tasks of finding the humility and the courage to open ourselves to our own or others' difficult and distressing circumstances and conditions. Hmm. It's not easy. It takes intention, persistence, patience, and practice to move to holding it as a core value and creating it as a being state that we reside in. Whereas compassion is an empathetic response to suffering, loving kindness is the intention of goodwill. The first step in developing compassion is being able to recognize, to open to, and to acknowledge that pain and suffering exists for everybody, everywhere, at some time or another. The whole foundation of the Dhamma is built on that the Four Noble Truths, there is suffering. Ain't that a fact? There's a reason why. There's a way out. And here it is, the Eightfold Path, right? But regardless of what country, what religion, what color, what body type, what 
what gender, what orientation. We all suffer. And that is actually a point of connection that we can engage with with each other. And we have been so, so, I think this is a commentary judgment, disconnected from that fact that we have what we have in the world. I'm sorry, I'll try not to do that again. <laughs> oh, some suffering is intense and terrible and some is quiet and small, but it is all suffering just the same. Of course, a life is not made up only of suffering, but at times it can seem that that is the case. It is a thread that needs to be recognized clearly and grounds us in the awareness that we are all connected and moving along in our lives, living what it means to be human. Denial, resistance, aversion, turning away from this fact and seeing with an obtuse mind only prolongs and aggravates the inevitable struggle that can arise when we do not see clearly things as they are. With the cultivation of the qualities that incline the heart towards compassion, the compassionate heart-mind builds the capacity, builds the capacity to withstand turmoil that is often the result of clinging, grasping, or any of the other visitors that can drop in when the mind becomes overwhelmed and clouded. A cultivated heart-mind increases our tolerance and willingness to meet challenges and difficulties and to truly know that this moment is like this, unaffected by the storms created by greed, aversion, and delusion. And when affected, as will happen, we are able to regain balance and to stabilize our hearts and minds with efficiency, efficacy, and ease. Sharon Salzberg says, when we deny our experience, we are always moving from something real to something fabricated. To live by this web of legend will always harm us. The truth may be difficult to open to. It may be hard, but it will never hurt most often it sets in motion a trajectory to growth, forward movement and healing, leading us closer and closer to freedom. When we feel broken at our limit, when we hit bottom, there is an opening there where we can get to see the possibility of living life in a different way. Trauma, trouble, difficulties or struggles are transformative. It demands that we become creative at moving forward and to heal when we can awaken to that sometimes gentle nudge and other times unmistakable push and heed the opening. A line from Rumi, keep your eye on the bandaged places. That's where the light enters. Leonard Cohen also used that in a song. For those of you that know Leonard Cohen. 
So, you know, I, I had uh, a very recent, pretty recent experience of actually, again, knowing and feeling in the body heart, this opening that leads to compassion and a shift in perception um, about how I was relating to a situation. You know, my husband had a second stroke back in October of last year. And um, he's getting better, um, but he was left with some parts of his brain being offline um, that really have to do with executive functioning. So orientation to time, space, um, planning, all that kind of higher order thinking has been impacted. And so I'm lending him some of my brain to manage that. <laughs> and that's the reason I haven't taught a retreat in eight months. But I'm telling you for the first, I'd say after the first two months where he was just healing, where he was just healing from the stroke itself, but when the actual rehab and all of that started, I would get so mad at him and so frustrated both at having to step into this role in a full way of caregiver, but also it's like, why can't you do that? What, like, just like, oh, I was so tied up in knots. It's really, really challenging. I also live with my 97 year old mom. So managing these folks. And then one day I was sitting and I was watching him. His name is Samaj. And I was sitting and I was watching Samaj go down the driveway to get into the van to go to rehab. And I could see all the effort he was exerting to walk well enough, all the effort he was exerting uh, to stay stable and not fall. And just the concentration and focus on his face and what it was taking. You know, I could run down the steps. What it took for him to, to leave the house and walk, I don't know, 50 paces maybe, I don't know, to the van. And as I watched him with his intention to continue trying to rewire this brain so those legs could work right, I had this immediate opening like, oh, what a bitch I've been, <laughs> you know, like, it's like really easy for me, you know, but like watching this man who's 73 years old, who suffered his second stroke, really efforting and attempting to re regain balance and to regain as much capacity as he's able. So he's still in the process. And he said, I could tell you this story. He likes me to tell him, tell him. a lot of my stories have to do with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was an immediate like um, lifting, lifting from out of my egoism and out of my judging and out of my um, frustration with my own um, impatience around what was happening and the heart open. And it's actually really brought a lot of peace for me. And I'm sure it's brought a lot of peace for him, too, because... <laughs> doesn't have to uh, hear so much from me about what he is or isn't doing. <laughs> so even more difficult than acknowledging pain is opening to it. It takes courage and fortitude to establish an appropriate and rational relationship to pain and suffering. We may have to do this bit by bit 
or maybe a little at a time without being forcing anything or being contrived about it. We also don't want to construct the illusion that we can somehow control the suffering. When we don't feel in control, often what shows up is righteous anger, indignation, fear, grief, pity. Did you hear almost all of that in my story that I told you? The near enemies of compassion. The near enemy of compassion is pity. It seems to be similar or can appear like compassion, but it's actually a feeling of superior, being superior to or in control of one's life and feeling that the other person's suffering is because they lack control. Yeah. Larry Yang, who was one of my root teachers early on in my um, coming to the Dhamma, identifies another near enemy that of codependency, the need to drive or fix the difficult emotion or to make suffering go away or make it better. He says, be compassionate to where you are. This is the process of the heart, stretching beyond old patterns of defensiveness and reactivity. The far enemy of compassion is cruelty. Cruelty is the enjoyment of other people's suffering. Even though it is clearly an opposite state from compassion, when we are lost in aversion, it can become very hard to detect it or delineate that that's what's happening. Anger and hatred, outrage, fear, and grief are all similar to compassion, but compassion, they are not. They are varying degrees of aversion. When we have a bright, clear mind and can bring forward compassion as the trembling of this heart, it arises with the quality of equanimity. We start to see the helix here. Imagine a mind where there is no bitter condemning judgment of oneself or of others. This mind does not see the world in terms of good and bad, right and wrong, good and evil. It sees only suffering and the end of suffering. What would happen if we looked at ourselves and all of the different things that we see and did not judge any of it, none of it? We would see that some things bring pain and others bring happiness, but there would be no denunciation, no guilt, no shame, and no fear. Another quote from Sharon Salzberg, how wondrous to see ourselves, others, and the world in that way. When we see only suffering, and the end of suffering, then we feel compassion. Then we act in energetic and forceful ways, but without the corrosive effects of aversion. May all beings find healing. May all beings find peace. May all beings be held in compassion.
then there is the power of this fearless compassion, which can be as tough as it is kind. Sometimes compassion for ourselves and others requires us to set clear, great limits and boundaries. We must learn to say no, and yet not put another out of our heart at the same time. There is no formula for the practice of compassion. It requires that we listen and attend and understand our motivations and then move from there asking what action can really be the most helpful here. There is a certain flexibility needed to respond to changing circumstances, setting limits when necessary and being flexible at the same time. Compassion allows life to pass through our hearts with its paradoxes of love, joy, and pain. When we hear the call of the compassionate heart, we give what we can to stop the war, to protect the children, to heal the environment, to transform prejudice and oppression, to care for the poor. And yet true compassion also loves ourselves respects our own needs, honors our limits, and our true capacity. When genuine compassion and wisdom come together, we honor, love, praise, and include ourselves and others. Instead of holding the ideal that we should be able to give endlessly with compassion for all beings, except ourselves. Audre Lorde says, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. The perception of separation between self and others transforms and drops away as we cultivate the habit of self-care as a wise way to spend our effort and as a doorway into connection. It is also an act of generosity to take the steps and measures to ensure that we are well. We are able to come to this recognition through the understanding of this path and the application of clearly seeing and cultivating courage and wisdom of the mind part. When genuine compassion arises, it moves through us as grace bringing together a tenderness and fearlessness that could never come by any other means. And I'll just say one or two words about forgiveness so we have a little bit of time for practicing. Jack Cornfield says that forgiveness is giving up all hope for a different past. That's one of the things I live by. Like, yeah, that's, that's a good one, Jack. <laughs> Not forgiving impedes the flowering of compassion in our practice and in our lives. Even if we cannot see it in these terms, we can understand that no one but ourselves can make ourselves suffer mentally. We can make the decision to not add to the fires of hatred and bitterness 
when it is part of our experience. Just by making this decision, we can add ease and progress to the development of our own practice. The Buddha said, hatred will never cease by hatred. Hatred can only cease by love. Through our practice, we can come to understand what is possible for the human heart. When our hearts and minds are full of anger and hatred toward others, we are actually the ones who are suffering, caught in the vice of this mind state. It's not easy to access this place inside which can forgive, which can love. In some ways, to be able to forgive, to let go, calls for a type of dying. It is the willingness and the ability to say, I am not that person anymore. And you are not that person anymore. And we are no longer caught in the cycle of aggression and hurt. Forgiveness allows us to recapture some part of ourselves that was left behind in bondage to a past event. Some part of the identity may also need to die in the letting go so that there can be a reclamation of the energy that has been bound up in the past. When we remain mentally enslaved by our past actions or the actions of others, we cannot live life fully in the present. Practicing forgiveness creates the space for renewal and a life free from bondage to the past. The sense of psychological and spiritual well-being that comes from practicing forgiveness comes directly because this practice takes us directly to our edge. Being on the edge is challenging, wrenching, and sometimes, and most times, transforming. The process of forgiveness demands courage, requires fortitude, and the commitment to our remembering where our deepest happiness lies. It boils down to one fundamental question. How do we choose, and it is a choice, to walk and be in this world at this time? Can we see the suffering of our own and others and not shrink back? Can we spend the same time that we use cultivating compassion as we do cultivating dislike, judgments, greed, anger, and ignorance. Ending with a quote by the Dalai Lama, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. Yeah, so let's do a little bit of compassion practice and see how it is there in the body, in the mind, in the heart. So getting, landing, positioning yourself in a relaxed manner that supports practice for you. Similarly to what Don and I have been doing, offering you some uh, phrases. And as always, it's really important 
in addition to being very relaxed when we're in the practice of the Brahma Vahara, it's also very important that the phrases ring true for you, that they resonate with your nervous system and your understandings. So I'll offer a few. Um, yeah, and if uh, they don't work for you, you can alter them, change them. I'll also have Viviana post this in the, um, you don't have to try to remember them. Um, you'll be able to access. So sitting back, feeling supported by the chair, the couch, the floor, standing, sitting, laying, however it is for you. Maybe uh, taking a couple of deep breaths. And remember we're practicing in this time for familiarity so you can get a bit of an introduction and perhaps be called upon to engage with one or all of these practices within your own practice. I think that we'll spend a little bit of time cultivating compassion practice for ourselves and one other person, which I'll instruct when we get there. May I find stillness in the midst of change. May I find peace in the midst of struggle. May I find softness in the midst of resistance. May I rest in compassion. May I find stillness in the midst of change. May I find peace in the midst of struggle. May I find softness in the midst of resistance. May I rest in compassion. If that's too many words, you can leave off the may I find and just repeat stillness in the midst of change. Peace in the midst of struggle softness in the midst of resistance, resting in compassion.
May I find stillness in the midst of change. May I find peace in the midst of struggle. May I find softness in the midst of resistance. May I rest in compassion. Stillness in the midst of change. Peace in the midst of struggle. Softness in the midst of resistance. Resting in compassion. And it's fine to continue on as you are. And you may want to try this song. We're going to offer compassion for all beings. Slightly different phrases. May all beings find healing. May all beings find peace. May all beings be held in compassion. May all beings find healing. May all beings find peace. May all beings be held in compassion.
all beings find healing. All beings find peace. All beings be held in compassion. In this last moment, drop the phrases, drop the words, and just allow yourself to feel yourself being enveloped, enveloped by the energies of compassion. We're kind of getting tenderized here. I don't know if anybody else is feeling that. Uh, so now is uh, the lunch rest break. And as yesterday, so it's going um, Eastern Standard Time from 12 to 1.30. So we'll be coming back for 1.30 if you like. I will be here holding the space for that sit. Give a little bit of instruction, but really going to allow a lot of spaciousness um, for sitting because that's going to actually be one of the last opportunities for a more spacious sit that we have today. So um, I'll see you at 1.30. Get rest, get fluid, <laughs> get food, uh, whatever is necessary. See you in a little bit. <laughs>
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.